Well, happy Labor Day. It is the unofficial end of summer. Boo. (laughs) Don't speak it. It is, however, the official end of our summer series called True Story. Over the course of the summer, we have spent the last uh, three months walking through some of the major stories of the Old Testament. Today we end with Daniel chapter 6. do invite you to turn there in your Bible. While you're doing that, I do have one quick announcement. Uh, We, about a year ago, began a monthly prayer night here at our church. Uh, Once a month we come together to pray as a church for anyone that desired to come and be a part of that. And so as we move into the fall, we are making an adjustment to the, the day. Uh, for a variety of reasons I don't have time to get into. Uh, we used to meet on the first Thursday of the month. We're now moving to the second Monday of the month from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock uh, over in our chapel. It's open to anyone. Uh, it's just a simple time of of uh, praying together. We'll begin with a short devotion on prayer and then have some things that we'll pray uh, together. And for those of you that ask, do I have to go and pray out loud? Nope, you don't have to if you don't want to. So don't let that uh, keep you. Uh, it's typically in our chapel next door, but this one in September will be here in the main sanctuary because there's already an event in the chapel next door. So I hope you'll join us second Monday of September from 7 to 8 for just a time of prayer. So now let's just pause and open our heart to be receptive to whatever it is that God wants to say to us this morning. Amen. If you're like me, then you probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about lions. Now, when I lived in Colorado Springs, I did in fact think about lions from time to time, especially when I was hiking, because in that part of the country, mountain lion attacks were an occasional but very real thing. However, since moving to Slinger, I don't have a lot of fear of lion confrontations. Although I did hear a very compelling story about a lion this last week. Uh, It's said to be true. It came from a couple of fairly reliable sources. Uh, But the story took place in the country of Ethiopia. In that country, one of the tragedies that happens is from time to time, young girls are stolen from their village and sold as child brides. So in this particular story, a 12-year-old girl was taken uh, from her family by three men. Uh, They took her into the forest with the intent of abusing her. And as she was crying and screaming in fear, three lions came out of the woods and ran off her would-be attackers and then lay down around her and watched over her until the authorities arrived. When the Ethiopian police arrived, the story goes, and it's said to be true, that they simply got up and ran off into the woods. Wow, what a story. I hope it's true. Today's story from Daniel chapter 6 is another story about lions. In the title of your Bible, the heading of your Bible, it probably reads, Daniel in the lion's den. It's a very familiar story. Most people know it, even those that don't attend church. We often use this story as a metaphor for life. We say things like, I went to that meeting at the office and it was like being in the den of lions, which is a direct reference to this story. 
The true story in Daniel chapter 6, however, is not really about lions at all. And it's only partially about Daniel. See, one of the challenges that we face with these kind of stories is the challenge of familiarity. When we become so familiar with something, we, we lose the impact of the message because like many of the stories of the Bible, God is the hero rather than Daniel. The story also begs a question. And the question is this. It's not an old quest, a new question. It's a rather old question. What do you do when society or your family or your place of employment or your school moves in a direction that clashes with your conscience and your convictions or is in direct conflict with them. Now, again, this is not a new question. It's been happening. It's a question that's been asked since the beginning of the Christian church. The early first century Christians in the Roman Empire asked this question as they were persecuted by Rome for being Christian because it was, in fact, illegal. In our day today, there are places in our world like the Middle East and China where it is illegal to practice Christianity and be faithful to what it is you believe at risk of prison or even your life. And while I would argue in our country we don't experience persecution per se like that, we do live in a time when disagreement becomes synonymous with hate. And when that happens, I think we lose a bit of what it means to be human. So is there then a way to live my conscience and conviction while at the same time not being a jerk about it, which can be rather hard at times? Jesus himself had something to say about this when he told the parable of the plank in your eye in the speck in your brothers. See, it's very easy to revert to a reactionary posture, uh, what some psychologists call lizard brain, resulting in half-truths, sensationalism, and very unbiblical behavior. I think today's story speaks directly to this challenge. Now, to give you some background in history, the book of Daniel begins with the nation of Israel in exile. They've been taken captive by the Babylonians. Some say it is because of their unfaithfulness to God and their practice of idolatry. And so they're taken to Babylon as exiles in the year 597 B.C. Now we come to the year 539 B.C. and the Babylonians have been taken over by the Persians. Darius the Mede has been made king over this new empire and Daniel, who was one of the exiles first taken into captivity, is now about 80 years old and is in line in Babylon to take a very powerful role in the government. And there are some nationals that are not happy with Daniel taking this role. And so the story, in a sense, begins with two words, two nouns in the English language that create as much problem today as they did in the time of Daniel. Those two words are jealousy and envy. We begin Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 sastraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The sastraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and sastraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. 
At this, the administrators in Sastraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the story begins with Daniel, who's now in his 80s, as an older man who has distinguished himself. He has distinguished himself because his faith has defined all parts of his life, not just some parts, not 25 or 75 percent, but all of his life, and people are taking notice. It's at this point that I would argue that those of us that live this life of faith, should we not distinguish ourselves in our world, in our marketplace, out in public places? Should we be not known and distinguished for our honesty, for our hard work, for the lack of gossip and cheating that exists in our life so that people would take notice? The mission of our church is making compelling followers of Christ. Not just smart followers of Christ, not just followers of Christ who go to church from time to time, but those that are compelling in all areas of life. Daniel lived a compelling life centered on his relationship and faithfulness to God. And as a result, he was noticed by a pagan king in a pagan culture and was about to be promoted to the highest office in the land outside of the king. And as a result, the other officials who were nationals that served with Daniel experienced both jealousy and envy. Now, we often use the words jealousy and envy interchangeably, but they actually mean two different things. The word envy is reference to a feeling that occurs when you don't possess something someone else has. So you may look at someone's home and you feel envious because you want their home. Or maybe you look at someone's marriage, their husband or their wife, and you're envious of the marriage that that couple has. Years ago, my my grandmother, on my Sicilian side, my, my grandmother was a wonderful woman, we called her Nana, uh, had, was about 90 years old and decided that she could no longer live on her own. And so she started to downsize because she was going to move in with my aunt. And as she started to get rid of things, one of the possessions that she had was a Chevy Cavalier, a small car. And she needed to do something with this car, and she was going to give it away. And so I'm the oldest of the grandchildren, and the Old Testament says that the oldest always gets more than everybody else. And so in my mind... Uh, I should be the recipient of the Chevy Cavalier. Very low mileage. She didn't drive very often. And at that time, I was in my 20s and in desperate need of a vehicle with no car payment. But lo and behold, she chose to give that car to my youngest brother. Not my middle brother, my youngest brother. And the word that I would use to describe how I felt was the word envy, which is, in fact, a bit different than the word jealousy. Because the word jealousy means that you have something, but it is threatened by somebody else, right? So a few months ago, my wife was shopping at Costco, and it was one of those rare times that she went without me, because like, I love that place. I don't know why, but I have an addiction to Costco. I love going there. But she was there by herself, and she comes home after shopping at Costco, and she says to me, you're never going to believe what happened to me. She said, I was 
shopping, minding my own business. And one of the Costco workers walked up to me and hit on me and asked me on a date. And she said, I showed him my ring and said I was married. And he said, what does that matter? And I was filled with a little bit of jealousy. Either one, envy or jealousy, can result in disastrous behavior. Now, now of course, I know my wife would, would never do that. I mean, look at this. She knows how good she has it. But it was nonetheless still there. Envy and jealousy can lead to disastrous behavior. Crimes are committed because of jealousy or envy. Relationships are destroyed because of jealousy or envy. And unnecessary come to Jesus meetings with the Costco guy can happen because of jealousy or envy. That is what is experiencing, that is what the other officials that serve with Daniel are experiencing in this moment. We, one of us, want and deserve the job that Daniel is about to be given. This Jew, this foreigner, is about to be promoted to the top post in our land. One of us should have that, and so something rose up within them. And they chose to sabotage Daniel. Now, I wonder, have you ever sabotaged or at least attempted to sabotage someone because you were jealous or envious? Oh, you might not call it that, but you might say, well, I just needed them to know the whole truth about that person. When in fact, you were trying to get what they possess. Maybe some rumors were started that weren't true because of envy. That's how this story begins. But it moves from jealousy and envy to deceit and corruption. Moving to verse 6. So these administrators and sastraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, prefects, sastraps, and advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue a decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, these officials could not go after Daniel's character because his character was was almost perfect. It lacked corruption. So they had to go after his faith. Now, these officials, these leaders, really had no reason to hate Daniel. He didn't do anything to them, but they were jealous, and they were also offended, in many ways, I believe, by his religion. They did not like his unshakable conviction that that God, that Yahweh, is the true living God. And so I suppose when Daniel prayed, which he did three times a day, he was declaring in a very pagan culture that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the final truth and left no space for believing that other religions were equally valid, which was a very bold proclamation in a very pagan culture. And so these leaders, these sastraps, these administrators, go together and they say to King Darius, we have all agreed, which is actually a lie, because for them all to agree, Daniel would have had to have been a part of it, because Daniel was one of the administrators. We all agreed, King Darius, that no one should pray to anyone but you. And they made it seem as though they were honoring Darius. Now, they weren't 
proposing that Darius was a god because it was common in their culture to pray through a mediary, which in this case would have been King Darius. And so Darius thought they were honoring him while in fact they were actually deceiving him. And so they said, put it in writing. Because according to Persian law, once an edict was put into writing, it could not be revoked even by the king himself. So put it into writing and let the punishment be, oh, I don't know, thrown into the lion's den. That should, that should do it. That should seal the deal. See, the only way they could get Daniel was to create a conflict between the law of the land and the law of his conscience. And so now Daniel is challenged to live his conscience with conviction and holy courage. Verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. It's, it's always in a group. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that to turn the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Now, what I find fairly compelling about this story is that Daniel doesn't seem to go out of his way to publicly challenge the law. He doesn't start a petition. He doesn't post on X, formerly known as Twitter. Doesn't protest. He simply does what he always did. He didn't hide it. He didn't take the easy way out, which he could have done because the law was in place for 30 days. He could have gone underground for 30 days. He could have hid for 30 days. He could have just not prayed for 30 days. He didn't do that. He continued to do what he always did. But he also didn't flaunt it. See, Daniel had spent a lifetime developing holy habits. This courage didn't simply come out of nowhere. It wasn't reactionary. It was simply the response of a lifetime of faithfulness to God. See, Daniel didn't all of a sudden have this robust spiritual inertia because of this law. Well, like sometimes life gets challenging and all of a sudden we have this, this robust spiritual inertia where we pray more and read the Bible more because we need God to help us. And then when things wane and we get through the crisis and life gets busy, we just kind of go back to normal. But that's not what Daniel did. Daniel had dedicated his life to his consistent practice of worship and his religion, even though he knew what the punishment was. I mean, I can think of a, a lot of horrible ways to die. Being eaten alive by lions is probably near the top of my list. I think it's easy to be bold when there's really no risk of punishment. But what about when your life is on the line? Daniel knew his life was on the line 
And he continued to do what he always did. He went to his room and he threw open the windows towards Jerusalem and he prayed to his God. And then enter the accusers. Daniel was so consistent, they knew exactly when and where he would pray. They set him up and they showed up. And they say to the king, oh king, look at Daniel, look at Daniel. And for the first time, I think the king realizes the real purpose of the law. It was not to honor him, but to eliminate their rival. I mean, Darius was well-liked by, Daniel was well-liked by Darius. He served his adopted country well. He lived his conscience and his convictions. The word that we could use to describe Daniel is a man of integrity. The word integrity comes from the root word meaning whole. The integrity and wholeness of his faith was being challenged. The opposite of integrity or wholeness is fragmentation, splitting your life into separate pieces that aren't consistent. See, I've come to believe that one of the great challenges and maybe even sins of the Christian faith is our own fragmentation or hypocrisy, which is very hard to see in ourselves, And we often expect from others that which we cannot deliver ourselves. But not Daniel. Daniel was whole and he was faithful and so was God. Verse 15. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be challenged. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him in the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of the noble so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Then the king was overjoyed and gave the order to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. The tomb was double sealed by both the king and the nobles so that Neither one could do anything scandalous or change the outcome. Now, we're not really sure what happened in the lion's den that evening. All we know, an angel was involved, but we don't know the minute-by-minute action that happened as Daniel stood in in that den. It's in some ways left to the imagination because the scripture does not record it. It's why I love this image so much, this painting done in the late 1800s of Daniel in the lion's den. The first thing I notice about this this painting is Daniel is not even looking at the lions. It's as if they don't exist. 
Oh, it's so easy to spend time gazing in fear at the lines of our life. I mean, Daniel's not even screaming, please have mercy on me. In this picture, he's just standing there. I think sometimes when we're in our own den of lions, it's easy for our mind to wander thinking that real life is lived elsewhere, that in this moment, this isn't real life. This is horrible. I need to get out of this place. But what I think Daniel teaches us is that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Daniel stands in the lines and his gaze lifted towards heaven in seemingly perfect peace. And then when it's over the next day, as Daniel is lifted out of the lion's den, He is respectful and honoring of King Darius, the very one who threw him into the pit in the first place. Now, according to the law of the Persians and the Medes, if you were to survive the night in the lion's den, you were were deemed innocent of all charges, which Daniel was. And those that accused you, according to the law, were to be thrown into the lion's den, or the same punishment you received, along with all of their family, which seems extreme, but that was the law of the Persians. Envy and jealousy, deceit and corruption always reap disaster. But see, this story ends with Daniel's integrity and God's faithfulness. When I live my life, I hope I'm a bit like Daniel that I'm whole, that I'm not fragmented. And because of that, there are just some things I cannot participate in because if I did, it would violate my faith, my conscience, my conviction, and my integrity. There are things in our world that, though I am, I believe, a seemingly graceful and compassionate person. There are things I cannot celebrate because of my conscience and my conviction. Oh, I'm not suggesting I'm perfect because there are moments of fragmentation in my my own life that seem to come out at the most unopportune moments. Like this weekend, I... I'm teaching my my son how to drive right now. He takes his driver's test in two months. And so we were out driving uh, on Friday and we were coming through the Starbucks drive-thru and the Starbucks drive-thru in West Bend is, is a horrible parking situation. And he's driving and he's slowly inching out, can't really see with the cars. And as we inch our way out into the main part of the parking lot, some guy in a convertible Audi, if it's you... I love you still, just comes flying, almost T-bones us, our windows are down, and I just said some things that were from the fragmented part of my life. My son is sitting right there, and I, and I was like, I felt terrible. I looked at Brian, and I said, I'm sorry, man, that, that shouldn't come out of me. I, I realized that there, there's still a work in progress, but, but I still work on my integrity. There are things I won't participate in. And there are also things that I will keep doing because my faith and my conscience demand it. So I want to be true. I hope that we're true to what it is that we believe, the the biblical ethic that we subscribe to without being jerkish, without mocking or name-calling, because that's the way of the world, and why would we want to be like that? See, when I live my convictions in a robust manner, 
a lot of fruit can come out of that. Because we see at the end of this story, it would seem that King Darius, this very pagan king, takes one step closer to the God of Daniel. He writes in verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. Because of Daniel's faithfulness, his integrity, because of God's power, this very pagan king takes a step closer to Yahweh. So I wonder what the world would look like if followers of Christ lived with such integrity, counting on God's faithfulness. I mean, Daniel could have become cynical. Daniel could have tried to run away from this very real storm that was brewing. He could have tried to avoid the consequence, but instead he chose to stand and face it. It reminds me of a story told by the Native Americans of the Western Plains of America. They tell a story that when a storm blows across those plains, that two animals that are common to that area respond very differently, the cow and the buffalo. It is said that when the storm blows across the Western Plains, the cows will try to outrun the storm to avoid it. Now, cows are not known for their speed. And as a result, the cows spend more time in the storm than necessary because they chose to outrun it. But the buffalo, the buffalo responds very differently. The buffalo turns and runs towards the storm, thus receiving less of its impact. I see Daniel in this story confronted with a storm, with the lions. But he chooses, instead of running, he chooses to stand and face it with deep, holy confidence because he knows that God is with him. As we bring uh, this series of messages to a close, I want to take you back to week one. In week one, we provided uh, those little journals, many of you took them. And the encouragement was to take time over the summer and maybe write your own story. Think of the ways that God has been faithful to you. It's so easy to focus on the negative, but it's very different to take a pen in your hand and write down all of the ways that God has been faithful to you. So I encourage you to continue on that journey. Now, some of you have mentioned that there are particular stories that have impacted you in a special way. Out in the lobby, you've noticed that there are paintings that have been there all summer. Those paintings each depict a image of the story that, that we've told. And we've decided that instead of throwing those away, we, we want to give those away. Uh, so if there was a particular story that impacted you and you would like to have that painting, we're doing a little bit of a drawing. It's not a raffle because you don't got to pay for it, just a drawing uh, out at the out in the lobby, there's a table with some glass jars with a picture of those pictures on them and a piece of paper. If you write your name on it, your phone number, place it in there. We'll, we'll only one per person, and we'll, we'll just pick one out this week, and you can have it, except for the one of Daniel in the lion's den, because I already won that one, so you can just forget, forget about that. But all the rest, 
I encourage you, encourage you to take those. And so now, God, I, I, I do hope and pray that you would uh, use these stories of the Old Testament to inspire our faith, to convict us to act, and to live with integrity. Amen. 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 So now as you go into your world this week, may you carry with you the faithfulness of God. May it encourage you to live with integrity and holy conviction. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.